What's up, church? You guys doing good? Good day? Good day so far? Hey, I just want to welcome all the campuses. One, two, three, give it up at all of our campuses and celebrate. One church, many locations. Love you guys at all of our locations. I just, um, I feel impressed to say that uh, something significant is happening in our church right now, particularly in the arena of worship. Do you feel it? Do you, do you, do you feel it? There, there's been a shift in the atmosphere uh, of recent. And uh, revival, if you look at the history of the church, revival um, always comes on the backside of great singing and great worship and people who get more and more free in the house of the Lord to be expressive and shout to the Lord. Come on. If you, if you believe it and receive it and pray for it with me, let me hear you. Raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah, which is a declaration of praise and shout. Hey, uh, before we get going today, let, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, um, we kneel before your word and we pray that you speak to us, God. I pray that we would never take this moment lightly. God, I pray that I would never, ever become comfortable, or should I say, complacent with this endeavor that we embark upon now. Would you speak to us through your word? Would you take our minds, oh God, would you think through them? Take our hearts and fill with them. Lord Jesus, take my lips and speak through them today. May your people not hear from a man. If anything comes from me, oh God, may it fall by the wayside. But that which comes from you, oh God, would you use my lips to speak through me. For anything I say, oh God, that is not of you is not worthy to even be on this stage. We love you, we honor you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, let the people of God say amen. amen. Hey, so um, if you've been here the last few weeks, we're in a series called Dollars and Cents, and we're going to wrap that up today, and I'm really excited about the day because uh, you're going to get to hear from people other than me, and I always love that, uh, particularly when it comes to this subject matter. So if you're, if you're new here today or you just showed up or you've missed the last few weeks, let me encourage you to go online, go to our YouTube channel. There's like over 10,000 subscribers to it now. Let me go and encourage you to subscribe to it and go check out the first two messages of this series, Dollars and Cents. And I just got to say, before we even wrap it up today, thank you for being one of the most beautiful, faithful, and generous churches I have ever, even in my wildest dreams, imagined serving and teaching the word of the Lord to. I don't know if you know this little preacher insight, but most pastors don't like to talk about money. Because when they talk about money, people get hacked off. And there's some legitimacy in that. I apologize on behalf of, of many pastors who have I think, done a poor job of interpreting the scriptures to you, and you're going to hear about that up close today with the story that I am talking about. But I just have to say that I have been blown away by your emails, 
by your comments, by your testimonies. And I love the fact that this is a church that loves the Word of God. Amen? This is a church that loves to be challenged with the Word of God. Amen? And it just blesses me to be able to teach a series on finances and you guys lean so much into the topic at hand. The very first week, we talked about God owns it all. Say that with me. God owns it all. One more time. God owns it all. Everything you got, <laughs> everything you will ever have, you guys are awesome. God owns it all. Then last week, I talked about what truly happens when we give. I mean, like, literally, what happens when a child of God starts to honor God with their finances and fulfill the biblical tithe? I said, number one, we honor God. Say that with me. We honor God. We honor God when we give. Number two, I said, we bless others. Say that with me. We bless others. And then thirdly, last week, I said, we are blessed. Come on, say it with me. We are blessed. Today, in this final message on this particular series, I want to talk to you about a financial miracle. You guys do know, don't you, that God still works miracles. Do I have a witness in the house? If you've had God show up and show off in a situation in your life and you've literally experienced a miracle of Almighty God, let me see a show of hands. God is a miracle-working God. And unfortunately, we tend to forget that. But this is a message I believe that if you will lean in like you have the last two weeks, it has the potential to literally transform your life. And it has the potential to expose you to more and more greater and higher miracles of God. Because I stopped by to let you know we have some great news. And the great news is this. We know, if you're a Christian, we know the author of miracles. That's a good place for an amen. We know the author of miracles, and his name is Jesus. He is still a miracle-working God. And listen, let's make it very, very personal. He loves you. He loves you. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knew that you would come here today because he's sovereign. It's no coincidence that you're here today. And I want you to open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Many of you will have heard this story a long time ago, but you probably haven't heard it in a long time. And many of you will have never actually heard this biblical passage before, which means I am so excited to unpack it for you today. 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 through 7. Do me a favor and stand and honor the word of the Lord today. Would you do that for me? The wife, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Not Elijah, different Old Testament character, but Elijah. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Stop right there. You get the scene? There's this woman. She's married to a godly man. He dies. She has two boys. She immediately becomes a single mom. Any single moms in the house? Come on, single moms, single moms. Like, you're my heroes. I've said that so many times from stage. <laughs> and, may and maybe that's because... I know how much work it is to raise a child with two parents. 
And those of you who do it alone, it's something. And so here, here she is. Her husband dies. It's a bad situation. Her husband dies. He's in debt. The debtors come and say, you're in debt to us. And since you don't have the money to pay us, we're going to take your boys and make them slaves. That's a desperate situation. Elijah, verse 2, replied to her, but how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left them and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept what, church? Pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. May God Almighty bless the reading, the standing, the hearing, and the applying of his word. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. You got to know that oil was a precious commodity. You got to know that this is an amazing passage of scripture about a miracle that unfolds in and around a financial matter. Take out your teaching notes, grab that pen, or just write in your Bibles, nothing better than that, write in the margins of 2 Kings chapter 4. Here's the first thing I want to say to you today. God loves to show up in desperate situations. Come on now. God loves to do what? Show up in desperate situations. And if I could go back and write that part of the message again, I would say God loves to show up and he loves to show off in desperate situations. And sometimes, I know you know this probably as good as I do, desperate situations can come out of nowhere. They can hit you when you least expect it. A little side note, I've been, I've been away the last two weeks. I know I've been here on Sundays. I've, I've had to prepare a message, but, but I have been on staycation. Any of you guys ever done a staycation? I haven't done many staycations in my life, but I'm just letting you know, I have come to love a staycation. Some of you are like, what's a staycation? It's vacation, but you stay at home. It's awesome. You don't have to spend all that money on the vacation. And if you're like type A, like me, task-oriented, I don't know how relaxing this is, but it surely felt good. I had like a list of things to do. I can show you on my phone. It was like a list of 52 things to do. I got great news for you. I got about 48 of them done. It was awesome. But, I, but here's, here's where I'm going with this. So the, uh, the other day, one of my to-dos over the last couple of weeks has been to clean out my garage. Anybody like a clean garage? I like a clean garage. Any of you guys need to clean out your garage? Wives, I didn't ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> so I'm in the garage the other night. I'm in the garage, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm cleaning it out. I, I got some music going. It's just me. It's Sunday night, a week ago. A week ago today. 
And it's about, I don't know, I think it's like 8.30, 9 o'clock in the evening. And um, I noticed that over here in the corner of my garage where I keep my fishing rods, I fish. I love to fish. Any fishermen in the house? It is the only, only true biblical sport that we have is fishing. And a show of hands again, fishing. If you fish, Lord, do a work in this church. This is pathetic. You people need Jesus. Some of you need to start fishing. So I go over there, and, and I'm, I'm organizing, and, and I, I realize that, oh, wow, there's a lure, a good lure, one that I really, really like. Some of you who are keen observers, you've been sitting up there, you've been going, why does he have a specimen cup on his, yep. So in this, I have a lure. Oh, it's a sweet lure. It's got an orange belly, so when it comes across the top of the water, the bass loves it. It's got blue, and, and I, I look over there in the corner, and it's, it's hung on this cover, on this canvas cover. And so I, I try to get it out. I can't get it out. So I bring the whole cover and the whole lure over to this little table area deal, if you will. And I start trying to get the hook out of the cover. I was having no luck. It was sunk deep into the cover. Now, since this is not a fishing crowd, obviously, there's this thing on a hook called the barb. And the barb is what really helps you catch the fish. And this, this, this hook was all the way into this thick vinyl, I think it's vinyl or leather cover. And I start trying to get it out, and I can't, so I do what any normal person would do. I said, I need some pliers. And I went and got some pliers. And I locked into this thing, and I'm, I'm fighting it, and I'm trying to get it out of this cover and um, I, I, I was getting nowhere. And I usually think about these things. I teach my kids how to use knives and cut away from them so they don't. I, I usually don't do this kind of stuff. But I'm embarrassed to let you know that I got so mad. And I'm not going to declare to you whether or not I said some inappropriate things. <laughs> or whether I just thought some inappropriate things. We'll go with the latter. You know what I mean? At, at this point in the story. But it gets worse. I get so mad. I've been out there wrestling with this thing for about, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. I can't get it out. So finally, I take, I've, I've kind of lost sight. You know, I stopped worrying about me and hooking myself. And I pull and, and pull and finally, finally I yanked it. It came out of the cover. But it sunk into my thumb so much so that you, you the hook the hook sunk all the way into my thumb. It was down about halfway down my nail. Stuck. Now, you think I said something then? Anyway. <laughs> and and, and the, barb was, the barb was all the way into my thumb. I wish you could look at yourself right now. I got people going. And so, what do you do, man? I mean, just out of nowhere, I'm in a desperate situation. And so, I have an issue. Most men do. Men, if you haven't acknowledged this yet, you probably do. We, we tend to have ego issues. And I didn't want to go inside and tell my wife and my kids with a lure dangling from my finger that I'm an idiot. And so, and I'm from South Carolina, from where I'm from, man, you just man up, bro. You just man up. Come on, you got to get this thing out. So I take the pliers. I got a sister over here about to pass out. We need somebody to watch her. She's going. 
I took the flyers. I did, I did say, God help me. I got a good grip on them. It hurts just thinking about it. And I said, one, two, three. And I dropped to my knees. Number one, it didn't come out. It didn't work. Number two, I've never felt such pain in my life. So then I went inside, Amy! I did. Joshua and Caleb, they were in the house. I said, I got a problem, and there it was. It was just hanging. She said, we need to go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital. They brought me in. It's amazing, man. They brought me right in. We were like bypassing people. I was like, this is awesome. They got me right in, and um, they're looking at it, and then all of a sudden, folks are going, oh, we know you. We see you on TV. Just get the lure out of the thumb. <laughs> and, 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 and then they, they started taking these really medical, you medical people will know this. They had these really thick, awesome, like pliers that were supposed to cut it. And so as it's dangling, from my finger, it's got my sign up here now. It's dangling from my finger. They're coming in here with these big old pliers trying to cut it. And as they're cutting it, what do you think it's doing? Pulling into my thumb. And they know who I am by this point in time. And I'm wanting to say, listen, God loves you. And I'm trying to love you right now. But here's what I need. I need some pain medicine. They said, we got you, pastor. They pulled out this big old needle. Bam! They shoot down this side of my thumb and then down this side of my thumb. And I'm like, I like that. That feels good. But what do you say you shoot down the tip as well? She said, all right. She stuck it in the tip. Bam! Can I just say, I praise God for pain medic medication. I praise God for that stuff. And then by that point in time, like, you couldn't feel a thing. They could have cut my thumb off. And I would not have felt it. So then what they did was they then just pulled the lure out. My, my skin just pulled out about that far. Till they saw the barb. And when they saw the barb, they came in with a razor and just slid it and out came the lure. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But, <laughs> but here's my point. Desperate situations can come up in a hurry. They can knock us down, if you will. And in the arena of finances, the same is true. But God, everybody say, but God. But God loves to show up and show off in desperate situations. Did you notice verse 1? Come on, let's read it out loud together. Verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. The woman was in a desperate situation. And what I know about speaking to a crowd this size at any of our campus locations, some of you might be here today and you might feel like you're in a desperate situation. And I'm not just talking about finances right now, but that can surely apply. And I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but what really caused the desperate situation of this woman? Debt. Debt. Now, this is not a message on debt, and I can't really get into it much, but I do have to just say in passing 
Debt can be a major source of desperation in your life. We live in a day and age where this country, many people in this country, maybe some of you, have never been taught how to manage a budget or how to handle your finances. We live in a day and age where everybody wants everything now. It's called immediate gratification. Have you ever thought about this? We live in a culture where we microwave Minute Maid rice. <laughs> we want it and we want it now. And the problem with that, and don't get me wrong, I'm not one of these guys who is 100% anti-debt. That's not what I'm saying. I think it's impossible for most folks to own a home in this culture in this day and age without going into some debt. There's nothing wrong with some debt. The problem is many people get into debt way over their heads. And one of the things you're going to have to learn when it comes to finances is that God wants to bless your life, but you have to be wise and you have to be very, very careful when it comes to debt. The debt directly impacted the family. Did you notice this? What do you think the boys thought? And by the way, this might be the first time in the history of humanity that the boys listened to their moms right away. Mom said, go get some jars. And the boys are like, all right, it's either go get some jars or be a slave. They go and they get the jars, and then God shows up in an amazing way. I don't have time to talk about it today, um, but I will just say in passing, some of you have heard me do this before. If you want a tried and true recipe for your finances, here it is. Number one, and we've been talking about this the last two weeks, honor God right off the top. First fruits given. Everybody say first fruits. You did, this is biblical. We've taught it the last two weeks. Again, go check it out. But they, the faithful man or woman of God takes the income and they honor God with 10% right off the top. Now, you've heard that from a lot of pastors. And as the story will show you a little bit later, some of you have heard it taught poorly. And for that, I'm sincerely sorry. But that's biblical. We tithe. Here's what you probably haven't heard. Take another 10% and put it towards savings. Put it towards savings or put it towards a rainy day fund because something's going to happen in your life. My wife just texted me this morning. She's just left Columbia. She's on vacation. She just left Columbia. She was moving, moving my son Benjamin in. She was heading to Charleston to give Wesley a little love as he gets back to work at the Citadel and her car broke down. Stuff's gonna happen. Cars are gonna break down. Air conditionings are gonna break. Things are going to happen. Take 10% and put it in savings. Or like I said, in the rainy day fund. And then you live on what? What's left, church? You live on 80%. Now, I know some of you are thinking, that's impossible. Take baby steps. Tithe the 10 to God. Save 10 and live on 80, I'm telling you, it will radically bless and change your life. A mentor gave that to me like 25 years ago, and I've lived it out ever since. Number two, seek God and do what he says. Seek God and do what he says. The first one is what? God loves to show up when? In desperate situations. That's exactly right. Number two, this passage teaches us to seek God and do what he says, Elijah replied to her, verses two through five, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? The servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. 
Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few now. I love that. Circle that if you got your Bibles open. Don't ask for just a few. In other words, the prophet was saying to her, don't let your vision be too small. We serve a God of abundance. Can I get an amen? We serve a God, Ephesians 3, 20, who wants to do immeasurably more, come on, than you can ask or imagine. We serve a God of enough, amen? Elijah said, go ask all your neighbors for envy jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And the blessings of God started to flow in her life. But don't miss this. She had to seek God and she had to do what he said. She had to seek God and what church? More than anything today, I wanna encourage you. There's going to come a day in your life and maybe it's been during this series. There's going to come a day in your life when you're gonna have to decide, am I going to do things my way or am I going to do things God's way? And that defining moment in the life of a believer as it comes to finances is a critically important moment. Will I, will Benji, and will the Kelly family do finances Benji's way, or will they do finances God's way? And what this lady shows us is that there is no better way than to handle your finances according to God's word. If you believe it, let me hear an amen. How many of you remember what I talked about last week? Somebody bless me. Last week, what was the biblical story that we talked about last week? Yeah, you got it. The fish. Remember, Jesus is looking at a crowd of 5,000 men. This little boy walks by. He's got five loaves and two fish. Do you remember what happened? Jesus asked him for it. The little boy gives it to him. Did you, did you remember verse 38? Of course not. Let me help you out. Verse 38. Read it out loud with me. Verse 38. How many loaves do you have? One more time. How many loaves do you have? Now, please don't miss this. Some of you came just for this today. The miracles of God always come when we offer God what we already have even when we feel like it is not enough. Some of you are here, and as I've been talking about finances the last few weeks, you've been making excuses, you've been bargaining with God, you've been, some of you have been mad at me, and I love you, I'm sorry, we're moving on after today. Let the church say amen. And you've been struggling, and you've been bargaining, and you've been trying to figure this thing out because you don't feel like you have enough. And I hear you, and I get it. And that's most of us, by the way. But hear me, the miracles of God always come when we offer God what we already have, even when we feel like it is not enough. Jesus took the five loaves 
And the two fish, what did he do? Remember, we talked about this last week. He broke it, multiplied it, and fed the thousands. Watch this. What if we just gave thanks? What if you and I became better and we gave thanks for what feels like not enough and then just gave that to God? Like when you're there and you just don't feel like you have enough finances or whatever, what if you just became good at saying, God, instead of trying to get more and worry about this and worry about that and stress out and worry about things and get all full of anxiety, what if I just gave him what I had, even if it didn't feel like enough, and I gave thanks for him? The woman thought she had nothing. What did she have, though, church? She had a little oil. She had her sons. They weren't slaves yet. She had her neighbors. She had access to the man of God. She had the help to go see the man of God. She had all these things. What do you, what do you have? Sometimes when we feel like we don't have enough, here's what we do. We lose the right perspective and we go zero sum and we get discouraged. And the passage says, you know what? You have what you need because if you take God and he takes his super and he puts it with my natural, he takes his extra and he puts it with my not enough, God is in the miracle working business and he can work miracles in my life always. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Hey, I want you to hear from two other people. I, um, I was in a Bible study about two months ago, and um, this couple started sharing their story. And I just want to let you know that when they first started sharing the story, I got really, really mad. Um, I got angry. And again, this is why many pastors, me included, probably don't talk about money enough because there's been so many, so many damaging methods and teachings happening in the church. So we tend to stay away from it. But they start sharing how um, the church that they were attending in New York was teaching them uh, this theology um, of cursed, that they were cursed when it came to these finances. And my tears and my anger went from frustration uh, to tears of joy when they started sharing how God moved in their lives. They put God first they trusted God, and God moved them to an area called North Carolina. Check this out. This is so good. Desde muy pequeño, yo asistía a la iglesia. Mi abuela y mi mamá siempre me llevaban, pero siempre creía que la iglesia eran reglas y obras que hay que hacer para ir al cielo. Y una de sus enseñanzas siempre ha sido el diezmo, que si usted no daba su diezmo, um, usted era maldito por Dios y hasta la maldición caía sobre sus finanzas. Y por mucho tiempo yo me sentía así, sentía que la maldición estaba sobre mi vida, mis finanzas, y me sentía también como un ladrón porque así nos enseñaban, hasta el punto de que yo no me sentía salvo y que había perdido mi salvación. It was very tough for us in the beginning. We were just recently married, and this, the same church we attended always said about the tithing and everything. They went to the, as far as to ask you how much you made a year so they could actually have the books to let you know that you're given the exact 10%. Because if you didn't, that means you're stealing from God. You can't even help clean the church if you were not tithing. 
one point we went through a financial situation where my grandmother passed away. My mom didn't have a lot of money, and my uncle either, so we had to help. Part of my savings went towards the funeral, and we tried to do our best because we love God. We love, we love worshiping. Before practice, our worship leader asked me to come to the side, and I was sat down. Pretty much told me, "We have checked your records. You're not consistent in your tithing." I tried to explain to them. I said, "Look, I, I went through this situation, and I'm going through a hard time." But their response was, "Well, you know, you have to be faithful no matter what. You know, that's why you can't prosper." because you're not doing it the way you're supposed to be doing it. It felt like my whole world in, in ended because we love being part of the, of, of the worship team. I felt really low that day, and I really questioned God, you know, is this is really what you are? It pained me to see my husband that way. He wanted it to leave the ministry. He was questioning his faith. He was questioning God, that God was punishing us, that we were cursed. And it hurt me because to me, how can my God that I worship and that I love, you know, can be a punishing God that way. So I saw some online videos and a, and a preacher was talking about, you know, the old-fashioned churches and how they used to tell you, you must give the 10% because if you don't, things are going to happen to you. Either a car will break down, your heater will go out, or you're going to get sick and go to the hospital and pay money for your sickness. He was mentioning that they make God look like a mobster, you know, because a mobster would say, if you don't pay your dues, I'm going to break your legs, I'm going to break your fingers. It wasn't about the money issue, it was more of a heart issue. So we started praying. I asked God if this wasn't it for us, then he needed to move us out. So I did apply to other places, nobody called me. And then I saw Duke University Hospital. And miraculously, I got an offer letter. But when I saw the uh, salary, I was like, oh gosh, this is like $20,000 less than I made in New York. So I questioned God. I said, God, is this really what you want me? But, you know, I saw how God opened each door. We had peace that surpassed understanding and that we knew that it was his timing. And then when we came to see this place, it just confirmed that God was pushing us to North Carolina. Before I moved, I always wanted to have a church to go to. So I did what everyone would do. I Googled churches near me and ended up um, seeing the church five minutes away, and it was New Hope Church. When he said the word New Hope, he doesn't know that. For me, that was like, wow, New Hope. Like, this is really like a new hope for us. And uh, we ended up going one Sunday, and then we saw this guy with the Mickey hands. And we saw the joy of the Lord in his life. I mean, he's in, out in the sun, you know, and greeting everyone with this big Mickey hands. And we made a joke with the kids because our old church thought that Disney characters were all from the devil and they were all evil. But we could see the joy of God and just the people that are directing you to park your car. I've never experienced that in my life, to feel that welcome into the parking lot. Made us feel like, wow, they do care for the people who come to this church. We felt something in our hearts that said that we were home. 
no, the one song that I remember and my wife remembers is I'm no longer slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I realized that I didn't believe it before because I was always seeing the negative side, like the punishment. And so for me, that freedom that I felt at that moment, it, it just changed me. And we never had that in our lives, you know, thinking from coming broken to thinking you're cursed to know that the love of Christ is there for you. Now I can tell you that I have experienced God's love and he doesn't love me because I do this or that or because I don't. We started to know what the true gospel of God was. He started mending our hearts. We've never seen a church invest so much on people, invest so much on reaching people for Christ. I told my wife, I says, we gotta start doing something. We gotta give something. And we're honoring God by our first fruits. And we start seeing God's blessing in our lives. To see my son recommit his life to Christ, my daughter get baptized. My son just started sponsoring a child. I mean, that is coming from his heart. To see that he wants to give for a mom is, is a joy. We felt like what the Bible says, being a cheerful giver, that we're part of that gospel being preached and reached out to people everywhere. I never regret giving, you know, a cent for the church because it's not for the church, it's for the kingdom of God. I'm a steward of, of God. God bless me, so now I am putting that to work. It just makes me just do more for him. And it's not forced, it's something willingfully that you just want to do it because you know you're working for the, for the kingdom of God. It comes from our heart. We're just joyful. You truly know now the joy of giving, no longer a slave to uh, the curse that we thought we were, and we are so happy that we are able to give for the kingdom of God. That's good stuff, church. If you're here and you've ever been browbeaten by a pastor or a church, wow, I can see some of it on your faces. And you've ever been told that you're cursed, I'm I'm sincerely sorry on behalf of Jesus and his church. I am so sorry. God loves you. Like, there's nothing you can do today that will make God love you any more than he already loves you. Conversely so, there's nothing you can do today or tomorrow that will make God love you any less. He just loves you. He's love. And he's given everything you have, he's given it to you. And he just wants to partner with you and use your life and use your stuff and use your resources that he gave you to bless your life. 
The, the third and final thing, and again, I just want to encourage you today. I, we're going to wrap this bad boy up, but here, here's the third thing. First of all, remember, God shows up, and he shows off in desperate situations. Have you ever seen it? Come on. Secondly, secondly, you got to seek God and do what he says. Not because you're cursed or you will be cursed or you won't be cursed. But if you want to tap into the blessings and the favor of God, seek God and do what he says. Learn his word. Do what he says. Have I done that yet in this service? I, sometimes I go do services. I don't know. I forget what I said. Say that with me. Learn his word. Do what he says. Learn his word. Do what he says. Give me a little more energy. Learn his word. Do what he says. Now I got to ask you, had I done that yet? I didn't think so. Good. Praise the Lord. Learn his word and what? Do what he says. And here's the final thing. If you will, expect miracles. Expect miracles. Write it in. Expect miracles miracles. Verses 5 through 7, she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she what, church? She kept pouring. Verse 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went in and told the man of God and he said, go sell that oil. Pay off your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. It was a miracle of Almighty God. And that's what I'm praying will happen in your life as I've prayed that it would happen in my life. That fires me up. We serve a miracle working God. We serve a God who can step into your desperate situation and when it feels like it's not enough he can break you in just the right places and he can pour out his blessings and his favor and his kindness in your life. He is a miracle working God. But you've got to get to a place listen where you trust him. Where you trust him with what you have. God provided enough. Everyone say enough. God gave more than enough. Everybody say more than enough. God fixes tough, desperate situations. If you believe it, let me hear an amen. One more thing and I'm done. You might have heard about this before. You guys ever heard about the old violin? This is an old one. Pray that I don't drop it. If I drop it, my friendship with a really good friend might be in jeopardy. This is a hundred plus year old violin. I'm gonna sit it right there and pray that it won't fall. Let me tell you about the violin's touch. You might have heard of this. It's a poem and it's a true story and I won't read all the poem, but I'll read a little bit. The, the poem starts out like this. "'Twas battered and scarred and the auctioneer thought it's hardly worth my time to waste on this old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I to bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, maybe two dollars, two dollars. How about three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, three dollars gone. But no, right in that moment, in the far back of the crowd, an old gentleman stood up. 
with gray hair and a gray beard. And he walked down front and he took the old violin in his hand and he, he tightened up the strings and he took the bow and he put it to his shoulder and all of a sudden he started playing this absolutely beautiful melody, pure and sweet. The music ceased and the auctioneer with the renewed energy in his voice started to declare again. What now am I to bid for this old violin as he held it up and its bow? 1,000, 2,000, maybe 3,000. 3,000 gone once, 3,000 gone twice, 3,000 gone. The audience cheered, but some of them declared, we just don't understand what changed its worth Swift came the reply from the auctioneer. Here's what changed its worth. It was the touch of the master's hand. The poem goes on. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A game and he travels on. He is going once, he is going gone. But the master comes. And the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. My prayer for you as we wrap up this series, my prayer for you is that the touch of the master's hand will be upon your life. Jesus is right. My prayer, and I've been praying it daily for you at all of our campuses and those of you who are online, is that as you lean into this subject matter and what the Bible so clearly teaches about finances, remember, we don't want something from you. I want something for you. And what I sincerely want for you is for you to trust God enough to honor him with what is already his in the first place. Honor him. And my prayer is that the master will touch your life. And that as people come into your life, as relationships come into your life, a spouse, a children, whatever the case may be, a vocation, a new job, whatever the case may be, that people will see, here is a woman, here is a man, here is a young adult who trusts God and their life has been touched by the master's hand. May that touch be yours this day and forevermore. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I'm so, so grateful, God, for uh, your word and how it teaches us. Lord, I know personally I would have never, ever, ever been able to handle my finances in a way that blessed you and opened my life to your kindness, your touch of the master's hand. So first of all, God, I just want to thank you for your word.
God, I thank you for your church, these beautiful people who love you. And God, they really do love your word. God, this is a tricky, tough conversation. And Lord, I just pray for the person who is sitting here and they just feel desperate. Maybe it's financially related. Maybe it has something to do with something entirely different. God, I pray that that you would minister to them. I pray that you would touch their life. I pray, oh God, that they would come to you and they would declare, Lord, I don't feel like I have enough, but I'll tell you what I have, I'm gonna give to you. And I'm gonna trust you with my life. And I pray that you would touch my life. I pray, oh God, that you would bless my life. And I declare to you this day, oh God, from this day forward, I'm going to honor you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this series. Thank you for what you've done in it. May the fruit from this series go forth for years, even into eternity, oh God, that your kingdom would be grown, that your church would be beautiful, just like Ricky and Lucy, oh God, that we would see the church as you intended it, not some brow-beaten, mean-spirited, manipulative movement, but God, a place that truly raises up people to be cheerful givers who experience the touch of the master's hand. Would it be that way for everyone within the sound of my voice? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.